Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. All right. There's only one name that can fright and at the same time delight me, Jesus Christ, say it politely. He swept out my house and made it tidy, then justified me. Now I'm innocent like Heidi. Leaving out the things that sun sightly, I'm holding Christ tightly, shining like a light bulb, brightly. I have to praise the Lord even though he might slay me or smite me, but now I'm in Christ, it's unlikely. We try to keep the word of God seasoned, salted and spicy, like soul food prepared nicely. It's free but it's pricey, that's why we have to handle it precisely. True workmen divide rightly, like David in Psalm 1, we meditate daily, nightly. Don't take the word of God lightly. I tie it round my mind like a phylactery and uh, forget my train of thought, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to me. The Holy Spirit. We thank God for the Holy Spirit and it's him that we're going to talk about today. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your incredible, invisible Holy Spirit who is here with us right now. And so often, Father, the Holy Spirit is overlooked. Yet he's the third member of the Trinity. He is God. Today, Father, would you glorify yourself through your word and by the power and the presence of your spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, welcome to our series in 1 John called Assure Assurance. Assure Assurance. And assure Assurance. And today's message is Assure Great Work of the Spirit. A sure and great work of the Spirit. <clears throat> and the sub-theme for our message is conquering the voice of the enemy within and without. Conquering the voice of the enemy within and without. Would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 and I'm going to start reading in a minute in verse 19. 1 John 3. Starting where we left off in verse 19 last week. I'm reading from the ESV. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. <clears throat> now, we know that it's coming up to Christmas. 
not just because of the calendar, but because of the temperature, right? And um, I don't want to talk about the temperature too much. But <clears throat> with regards to Christmas coming, I mean, it's just weeks away now. We're coming to the end of November. Apparently, we're going to get this cold snap that's going to last about 100 days, they said. And it's going to be worse than any other winter that we've had since 1945, apparently. And uh, we'll talk about predictions in a minute. Um, <clears throat> can you imagine it getting so cold that the River Thames freezes over? I mean, you know some certain places in the world that happens, right? Like when we go to Austria, we go to Austria every year for our church retreat. And where, the, where, where we stay is a castle on the side of a mountain overlooking a lake with the Alps in the background. Wow, I was just, I was just having flashbacks. <laughs> that lake, massive lake, sometimes freezes over to the point where you can actually walk out on the lake. There's a story about a man who went to visit his brother in northern Canada. And when he went to, to visit, he's never been there before in his life, so <clears throat> gets on a plane and he travels over to near where his brother's staying, but because of the, 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 the terrible weather conditions, he can't get to his brother's house with regards to about the final mile. So like he, the, 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 the transportation that he takes um, just after jumping off the plane stops at a certain place and he's got two options. He can either cross over a frozen lake, which is about half a mile, or he can go the long route and walk about 10 miles to get to his brother's. So he's there trying to make up his mind and he's standing around thinking, what am I going to do, man? And he can't see no one, there's like no one for miles. And <clears throat> it begins to get dark, so he determines, you know, I need to make up my mind. So he opts to, to, to travel across the lake. But he's so terrified because he's not familiar with, I mean, he's a city boy, right? He's not familiar with this type of territory. He gets down on his knees and begins to walk out on the lake on all fours. And he lays down his suitcase and pushes his suitcase with his head on all fours, slowly making his way across this lake. Now, while he's making his way across the lake, all of a sudden he hears a crack. And he's like, oh my goodness, what is, is, is that the lake? Is, is that, the, is that the, the, the frozen lake about to, about to crack? And am I going to fall in? Am I going to drown? Never going to get to see my brother? Never going to get to go home? And as he continues to walk out, he hears another crack. And as he's traveling, he's nervous and worried about the ice cracking and him falling in. <clears throat> now, as he's making his way tentatively, he gets, about, he gets about halfway. I mean, he's in the middle of the lake now. And halfway into the lake, he hears another sound. But this time, it's not a crack. It sounds like a rumble. And the rumble's getting louder and louder and louder. And as he turns his head carefully, because he doesn't want to make too much, he doesn't, doesn't want to crack that, he turns his head gently and he looks. On his left-hand side, coming down the middle of the lake, is a 14-horse-drawn sled full of coal with two men on it who are singing at the top of their lungs as they travel across the ice. How many of you know there's a difference between having great assurance versus having no assurance at all? <clears throat> and the thing is, for, for us, some believers struggle, like my man on the floor, all knee, like on all fours, trembling with a lack of assurance. Yet there are those who are just bold and brave and smiling and shouting and enjoying their assurance like those men who are singing on the sled. <clears throat> and it's to these two things that we'd like to speak today. As much as John in this book challenges the, the validity of a person's profession of faith, right, <laughs> which is where we've been getting it, on the, on the other hand, <clears throat> He also fundamentally wants, to, fundamentally wants to assure the genuine believer of the validity of their faith. Amen? Now, we just read 1 John chapter 3. And we've been climbing a spiral staircase, as it were, visiting and revisiting theological, moral, and social tests as they apply to the believer in regards to the gospel. Last week, we looked at the moral and social tests. That is, how do you behave 
and to which group do you belong? This week, we will look again at the theological test, going round and round, and here it comes again. The theological test. What do you believe, but from a different, from another angle? Look at verse 19 with me. We're going to look at a lot of the text today, and I'm going to ask you to keep looking down at your Bible. So please, would you humor me? And I'm going to try to put the other verses up on the, the screen for us. So verse 19, by this we shall know. Now this is going to come up, that is this phrase, by this we shall know four times in our text. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and what? Reassure, those of you that are reading the ESV, reassure our heart before him. Let's talk about reassurance. It's an extension of last week. Remember, last week was don't lack love and be like Cain. Lay down your life and love like Christ. Love. Love for the family of God. This is that which identifies a genuine believer. And by this type of love, that is a love that is tangible, not just words, not just an email, not just a text message, but practical actions, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Loving the brothers. Can you see that verse 19 is linked back, linked back with a K this time, right, to, the pre, to, 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 to this previous section in our chapter? And hopefully you identify this type of love in your heart that is for other Christians in the family of God. And that you may be able to, to say that <clears throat> even though you never got, you never got 100% in that test, oh, how's it gained with loving your brothers and your sisters? You're like, last week, you're like, ooh. You know, maybe there were those who got an ace, like, an, like 100%. But maybe you're like, ooh. But you have got love for, the, for, for your brothers and sisters. But it may not be all that it ought to be, Right? Well, at least you're sitting the exams, right? As cold as it is in the exam hall. Now, as, as, much as, as much as you may not be getting an A star, how many of you know we need to be getting a C? Or a D? is a D a pass? D is not a pass, uh-oh. We need to be getting at least a C, right, in these tests. And even though you, you may be getting a... And the thing is, getting a pass sometimes, especially if you're kind of like, A-types and people who really want to do well. Getting a pass, you don't feel happy, do you? You can actually even feel, the, you're going to the board to have a look and you're like, oh my goodness, GCSEs or A-level results. And you're like, it's like yeah. you, you look at the results and you're like, oh my gosh, I was so expecting, you know what I'm saying, a better mark. And then you get a lesser mark and you feel deflated. We're not happy, we get discouraged and... This is why sometimes our hearts need what? Reassuring. Because we as believers sometimes we experience condemnation. Look at verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, is there anyone here today that's ever felt condemned? I know I have. See, and condemnation comes in different forms. Three, three forms I'd suggest. First of all, the devil. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. How many of you know he don't, he don't hesitate to condemn us? Secondly, humans. Humans will make you feel like rubbish. I mean like Job's friends, right? Quote, unquote. Highlighting your sinfulness, pointing this out and pointing that out making you feel condemned. And, and, and as Christians, as well as non-Christians at work, when they catch you slipping, yo, Jahazu's got an amazing lyric on his new album, man. My man said, God caught me slipping like paparazzi. Wow, what a lyric, man. But that's what people do in the world. They see you, they see you, oh, wait a minute, I thought you said you was a Christian. Wait a minute, right? We talked about that last week at Community Group. Christians and non-Christians highlighting your sinfulness, contributing to your condemnation. Number three, apart from those two groups, the devil and others, other humans, how many of you know 
We don't need no help to make ourselves feel rubbish sometimes. We can do it all by ourselves. Sometimes we can make ourselves feel like rubbish by condemning and not forgiving ourselves. Romans chapter eight, verse one. I'm not getting no help today. Says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the... That's what the Bible says. And although this is the truth, how many of you know we fail the theological test, don't we? Because we don't believe this. See, and the devil and other humans in your own heart, they defeat you, don't they? But I've got some good news for us this afternoon. God is greater than all of them. God's greater than the devil who would come at us hard. God is greater than those who would point the finger at us and cause us to feel condemned. God is even greater than our own hearts as we condemn ourselves. See, that is, God is greater than all of them, that is, those who would judge you from the outside and also that voice that would judge you from within. First of all, can you see that John anticipates that this will happen? at the beginning of verse 20. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging? And we need encouragement because of these many voices. And of those voices, there are those that say, you can never be assured of your salvation. You can never be assured of right standing with God, they would argue. The Roman Catholic Church, um, during what, a time in the 16th century, had what they called the, the Council of Trent. And it's where they got together and they collated and documented everything that they determined with regards to Protestant heresy. Protestant. A Protestant is someone who protested against the Catholic Church. So then they sat down at this Council of Trent and said, right, we're going we're to document everything that we determine that disagrees with your perspective. And with regard to the doctrine of assurance, Listen to what they said. They said, if, if anyone saith that he will for certain of an absolute and infallible certainty have that great gift of perseverance unto the end, unless he have, lear- have learned this by special revelation, let him be anathema. Now, their special revelation is, is not the, the, the special revelation that we would call special revelation. <laughs> we say special revelation is the Bible. They don't say that. It's extra biblical revelation. And you see where they put the weight on that which is extra biblical. And they say you're anathema in the 16th canon of the sixth session of the Council of Trent. They said, the believer's assurance of the pardon of his sins is a vain and ungodly confidence. Let him be anathema, which means to be cursed or damned. That's how they feel about anyone who They believe they have an assurance of salvation. And nothing changed when they reevaluated this anathema in 1962 at what they called the Second Vatican Council. Nothing changed over like 400 years, whatever. Nothing changed. And they would e, I would say that this would classify as an external voice that would condemn the genuine believer. And this would concur with what believers were dealing with in the first century. How many of you know, during that time, Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians, kind of dealing with this issue. He says, verse six of Galatians one, I'm astonished, as he speaks to the believers, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But... Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the, to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, just in case you never got it, he's going to repeat what he said. Because it sounds... He says, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. The Catholic Church want to curse you for having assurance. Paul says a curse be on them or anyone else that would want to condemn you. 
for having a trust and a short assurance in the gospel of Christ. So, let not your heart be troubled. Look at verse 20 with me. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. And the immediate question that comes to me is, mm, God knows everything, and in the light of that, I know I don't know everything. You might say I don't know anything. Um, what is it that God knows that I don't know? I think that kind of comes naturally, isn't it? God knows everything. I don't know. What is it that God knows that I don't know? We always want to know what we're not supposed to know, right? You ever hear this story about hog and pig? This I'll get myself in trouble. Hog and pig. It's a Jamaican saying. Hog is the big one. Pig is the piglet, right? Hog is the mother pig. Piglet is the little pig. Pig said to hog, oh, oh your moats are long. Because baby, right? And he's only got a cute little button. Oh, your moats are long, mummy. And hog said to pig, you grow, you will know. Right? I'll be like, like, look, how many of you know the hidden things belong to God, right? There's not everything that God's gonna, gonna, gonna reveal to us. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't appreciate it anyway because we're, 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 but we, what is it? Now, <clears throat> one of the things I don't know is I don't know who will be saved, right? I know some will and some won't, but I don't know who. Now, after quoting the Second Vatican Council, the Catholic doctrine, would I then suggest that no Catholics will ever be saved? No. I would say that they would be saved in spite of and not because of Roman Catholic doctrine and dogma. <clears throat> but I wouldn't say they're all not saved. I suspect there are going to be some in there that will be saved because they're putting their trust in Christ and not in the church itself, contradicting their own dogma. See, what is it that we don't know? I don't know who will be saved. See, and one of the things that we don't know is who belongs to God. We don't know who, we don't know those who are his. True? That's one of the things we don't, God knows everything, but one of the things we don't know is those who are his. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So firstly, we don't know who belongs to God, who belongs to God. Only God does, right? But secondly, we know what those who belong to God must do. Is that fair to say? We don't know who belongs to God, only God does, but, but we do know what those who belong to God must do. So there is something we don't know, but there is something that we do know. And it's not my job to determine who belongs to God, but it is my job to ensure that if I want to belong to God, I do what? I depart from iniquity. You see that? That is, I can't work out your salvation. I can only work out mine, right? Philippians 2, it's good to be reminded of these verses, it says, Work out your husband's salvation. Work out your, your, your child's salvation. Work, work out your parent's salvation. No, it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And how many of you know, even that can't be done without God's help. Notice the next verse, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both, both to will and to work, or to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is the one who gives the will, that is the desire and the passion, and also the ability, that is the capacity and the power. Now moving on to those who are the opposite to those who struggle with condemnation. So hopefully, we've been able to help someone who's on the ice on all fours this afternoon. Help them up off the ice, you can trust the ice ain't gonna crack. <laughs> Underneath the ice is the rock, amen? And it ain't going nowhere if you put your trust in Christ. 
So moving on to verse 21, with regards to, <clears throat> to those who don't struggle with condemnation, which, I, you know, I mean, is, everybody is going to struggle at some point. But verse 21, beloved, notice how it starts. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And rightly so, because the picture here isn't one of a, an accused criminal standing in the dock before a judge, but that of a son coming before his father. Remember John chapter three, verse one, at the beginning of our last chapter? See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called what? The children of God, and so we are. It's not a picture of a condemned criminal standing before a judge. It's a picture of a, of a, of a child with their loving parent. And Probably no human relationship is so characterized by boldness and confidence as that of young children with their parents, right? Before their parents. As you know, um, Helen and myself, we've got a two and a half year old foster child and, uh, and they're gonna be leaving in not even two weeks time. 7th of, of December, they're leaving after being with us for two years. Um, the little one, oh my goodness, it's coming like I'm his dad. <laughs> He'd be like, my name's Robert, right? He's like, Bob, 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 Bob. I mean, he won't take no for an answer. He don't care who's in the room, who ain't in the room. It, it could be morning, noon, or night. He's in his cot at nighttime, sleeps in the room with, Bob. Sometimes you might see him, because that's the crash, right? He's not here this week. Otherwise, sometimes he's banging on the window through the curtain. I'm here preaching. He's, Bob! No, sh no, sh no shame, no embarrassment. And I'm not even his biological father. He calls Helen as well. <laughs> he calls me Bob, and he calls Helen, Hair. 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 His sister's, I can't tell you his sister's name. Um, <laughs> confidence of a child to approach at least who they understand to be their parent. The Bible says we can come to the throne of grace, how? With boldness. Confidence. Confidence to approach a parent, and it doesn't stop there. Confidence to the point where one would be able to even petition the parent. I mean, it's one thing to get the attention of the parent, like, unashamedly. I mean, I had this yesterday with my biological kids. My daughter wanted some money. She never felt no way to come and ask me. She didn't, she didn't sit down for half an hour trying to figure out how she's going to say it and phrase it. And No. <laughs> Blatantly, Dad, can I have some money? Not even that, I love you so much. <laughs> Unashamedly, beggy, beggy. <laughs> but but that's the, is, is that wrong? It's normal, it's natural that a child should feel that they can approach a parent in that fashion on the basis of their relationship. But confidence, imagine, to the point where one would be able to call out to God. You know how the text describes the genuine believer, how they call out to God? It's not even father, it, what is it? It's, it's daddy, it's Abba, father. It's a term of endearment. And not just cry out, but then also on the back of the, the interruption, then to ask for something, then to petition something. No one's gonna step to Obama, and, and I mean, you've got, you've got security to pass through, but it's relationship that child has with the parent. Wow, verse 22. And then as we approach and then have the, the confidence to, to petition, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We have access and then we also have answer to prayer. Now notice, it's not, this is not <clears throat> payment for merit. It's not like, okay, well you kept the commandments and now therefore you deserve what you're asking for. No, 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 no. This is the blessing of obedience. You know and I mean, it's not something that's merited. And, and it's the response of a loving and generous father directed toward his beloved children 
who desire to do the things that are pleasing to him. Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we, <clears throat> what? That we pass the tests. Tests, plural. First of all, the theological test, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and two, the social test, which is what? To love one another. All right, no one ain't trying to help me today. All right, then, Lord, help me. Just as he has commanded us, there's a blessing for passing the tests, obedience. And this isn't working for salvation. This is blessing associated with salvation, blessing because of salvation. And notice that the first thing mentioned isn't doing anything, is it? Verse 23, what is it? It's believing. Thank you, my brother. It's believing. And the second one is what? Loving. See, believing, loving. This is faith that works by love. See, if you say you've got faith but you ain't got love, guess what you ain't got? You ain't got faith. And if I look at your life and I can't see love, you don't really have the type of faith that the Bible speaks about. <clears throat> faith without works is dead. Faith is a work of the Spirit. Faith is a gift of the Spirit. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit. Oh my gosh. Ephesians 2 verse 8 through 9. It's the work of the Spirit. <clears throat> First Corinthians 12 verse 9. Faith is one of the gifts of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5.22, faith or faithfulness is the fruit of the Spirit. It all comes from the Spirit. Faith without works or corresponding actions, James 2.26 is dead. Here in verse 23, we're encouraged to exercise a faith that works, that expresses itself through love. Can you see that? Verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this we know, there's a second mention of the phrase, by this we know that he abides in us. How? By the spirit whom he has given us. Or if I could paraphrase verse 24, in other words, by saying, the spirit whom God has given us abides or lives in us and it's through him that we know anything. I mean, he knows everything. And who is the he? He is the Holy Spirit. He is not an it. Notice the capitalization of the word spirit. This will be the first time that John will mention a third member of the Trinity explicitly. The Holy Spirit. And it is he that brings reassurance. It's the Holy Spirit that brings reassurance, we see in verse 19, confidence, we just saw in verse 21, and the ability to pass the very tests that John has given us, helping us, working in us in order to want to and to do his will. Verse 23 and verse 24. You see that work of the Spirit? But that's not all. That's not all that the Holy Spirit does. First John chapter four, verse one. That's where we are, right? Uh, it says, again, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So first of all, the first word in verse one reiterates John's heart towards these believers. It's the second time in four verses he said, beloved. John wants God's people to love, and John in turn loves God's people. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit you know. That means that apart from the Holy Spirit, there are other spirits, because it's plural. And it's spirits, lowercase s, differentiating between these and the Holy Spirit, definite article. And some of these spirits are not to be believed, which means that they must be deceptive. Verse one goes on to say, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
<clears throat> okay, so apart from the Holy Spirit, there are other spirits who deceive and must be scrutinized. Well, how do these spirits communicate with humans to the point where they can deceive? The end of the verse says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So then one of the ways that these deceiving spirits communicate is through human agents, prophets. But prophets <clears throat> who are true to their original source, they're false prophets. That is, those who are false in their proclamation and predictions, and I don't even know there's a difference between the two. Predictions are proclamations, but proclamations aren't necessarily predictions. Proclamation is an announcement. A prediction is a forecast, like I mentioned earlier, like the weather. <laughs> Not cool weather forecasters, false prophets, I don't know. <laughs> prediction is a declaration of the future with regards to a future event prior to its fulfillment. So John is warning that there are deceptive spirits proclaiming false information and predicting false future events. This is also probably a reference back to individuals in chapter 2, verse 19, remember, who John says they went out from us because they, weren't, they were not of us. But I mean, if you know, John isn't just writing to first century believers, but believers through successive centuries, including ours. So, Peter, in conjunction with John, has something to say about this issue that relates to them, but also relates to us today. Second Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people in the past. Just as there will be false teachers among you, says Peter, in the present, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And sadly, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you. I mean, even though some things don't change. Indicating the nature and the motivation of these individuals, verse three, and in their greed, in their greed, they will exploit you. How? With false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. The Lord Jesus made reference <clears throat> to the same thing. Matthew 7 verse 15, beware of false prophets who, who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What picture? And chapter, Matthew chapter 24 verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead a few astray, will lead many astray. See, there are, there are three principal groups of spirits. One, we have the Holy Spirit. Two, we have the devil and his host of demonic or evil spirits who through human agents have gone out into the world. And then thirdly, we have the human spirit. We desperately need God's help in order to distinguish between these spirits. We definitely can't trust evil spirits and more often than not, I can't trust the things that come out of my own heart, out of my own spirit. We saw that a moment ago in verse 20. Let alone trust another spirit apart from the Holy Spirit. And how do we know how to distinguish between the true and the false? We're doing, it, we're doing it right now. How we know to distinguish between the true and false is through God's word. That's why we take it so seriously, don't we? Second Timothy 3.16, a verse that we were looking at this week in school. All scripture, not some, not just the Old Testament or just the New Testament, not just the writings of Paul or just the words of Jesus in, like, in the red. All scripture is breathed out by God. Some, some translations say it's given by inspiration of God. Really, the, the, the better use of that word is by the expiration of God. It's that which is breathed out of God. That's why it's alive, isn't it? 
Anything God breathes out, God breathed into man and he became a living soul. God breathes out his word. His word is alive. I remember Adam having a picture of a, of a heart beating. When you see the Bible on the shelf, you just say, oh, it's a dusty book. No, it's like a, it's like a living and breathing organism. You know what I'm saying? And if you get your hands on it and begin to apply it, it will, it's alive. It will bring life to, to that which it comes in contact with. Ezekiel 37, speak to those dry bones. Can them dry bones live again? Speak the word of the Lord to them and whoa, they become a mighty army. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in, in righteousness. God's word, the Bible, the scriptures and what we're now reading is scripture right there in your lap. You have a manuscript copy. That's what a, a manuscript is, it's a copy, right? We don't have the original, the original writings. They call them autographs. In your lap, you have, you have a copy, you have a manuscript copy of God's word, the very breathed out word of God. And we can, <clears throat> we can put maybe a, a finer point on what we believe and identify it with regards to the apostles' doctrine. It's what the apostles taught. It's, what, it's how the apostles understood the Old Testament, interpreted it, interpreted it, and applied it. The apostles' doctrine. This is what we're looking at. How many of you know John was an apostle? The apostle, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it talks about that. It talks about the fact that the believers at the time, they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread and to fellowship and, and prayer. We have the doctrine of the apostles that we look at right here. Look at verse two. By this, we nearly finished. By this, you know. This is the third mention of our phrase, by this you know. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, how many of you know this isn't an exhaustive identifying mark of a false spirit? It's just one amongst potentially many, right? But it's a very important one in the context to which John writes. There were false leaders who were teaching that Jesus only assumed the appearance of a man and was not really incarnate. He wasn't, he wasn't really God manifested in the flesh. He wasn't God become a man, John chapter one, right? These later became, those who taught this, these later became known as Gnostics. Don't listen to them. Them who? Them that teach that Jesus was just a man. See now, and the problem is not just what people teach, it's what they don't teach, but they actually hold to and believe. See? It'd be one thing if that was, you know, the main point of doctrine in Second John, which is John's second, his next epistle, right, his next letter, not the one that we're looking at, but the next one. Verse seven says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Antichrist doesn't always mean um, against Christ. It sometimes means in the place of Christ. So these people are actually teaching the Bible, quote unquote. Everyone, John says, who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, which is what the apostles' doctrine was, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Look at verse three of our text. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus does not confess Jesus in the previously mentioned manner is not from God. And it's not just what they believe, but it's also, as I mentioned, what they don't believe. It's not just that they teach that Jesus is a man, that sounds right and true, but it's also what they don't believe or confess. They won't confess that Jesus is also God. It's one thing saying he's a man, but you're gonna leave out that he's also God. This, the verse goes on to say, verse three, is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now that was then, how about now? Do we still have those who would claim to be Christian but teach falsely or teach error? Yes, 
I just mentioned a group, didn't I? <clears throat> the, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that, teach that you can't be sure. One, that you, can have, you, can, you, that you can't lose your salvation and that Jesus came in the flesh. Like, not just a man, they say that, but he's also God. Did you know Islam also teaches that, right? They say, they say Allah cannot beget. So there's no way that he could have a son, right? They are there. It's like one of the most important. And I heard, it's funny because I heard this week that you could actually categorize Islam as an offshoot or a sect of Christianity. And I think that's true. We haven't got time to get into the detail of that. But these ideologies all deny any assurance of salvation. And they definitely deny that Jesus Christ came as a man and is God in the flesh. And as I mentioned earlier, we had false teachers in the past. We're going to have them in the present and we will also have them in the future. Verse 4, as we get ready to finish. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Little children, huh? not just children, little children. How do you treat little children? Oh my goodness. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Why? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Not only is the spirit of God who is, who is in you greater than your own heart, but he's gr anything that will battle with you on the inside He's also greater than everything that's on the outside. He who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. Verse five, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. That is the apostles, right? That's who John is. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. He's not got a big head. He's an apostle. He he knew Christ. He walked with him personally. Here is the fourth mention <clears throat> of by this we know, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here we come back to the title and the heart of our message today, the Holy Spirit's greatness. A sure, great work of the Spirit. Four times the Spirit is mentioned implicitly and explicitly. Chapter 3, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. The Holy Spirit, Jesus refers to as the Spirit of truth. John 14, 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We saw verse 24, chapter three. And by this we know that he abides in us. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father given to us as a gift. Acts 2.38 says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, he dwells with you and will be in you. In chapter 4, verse 2, says, By this you know the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 says, And when Jesus was baptized, you probably remember, immediately he went up out from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And then chapter 4, verse 6, By this we know. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Again, John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. A sure, great work of the spirit, conquering the voice of the enemy within, the thoughts of accusation and condemnation, and a sure great work of the Spirit who conquers the enemy without, the false teachers and any false doctrine that would contradict the gospel of Christ. I'm going to invite the, the band, if they're in here, to come join me as we pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the apostles' doctrine. Thank you for scripture. Thank you that all of it is given by, is given by you, breathed out by you and for our benefit. And Father, I know that just this afternoon, there are those who are skating happily along, Lord, in their relationship with you, Lord, they're, they're jumping and spinning, doing pirouettes and going backwards on the ice in their relationship with you, Lord. Thank you for the confidence that believers have in Christ Jesus. Rushing along on that lake, Father, singing merrily with tons of coal and 14 horses. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that believers have in Christ. But Father, I just wanna, I pray that you would encourage the heart of those who are believers, Lord, but they're struggling in their faith. They're struggling like that man on the ice on all fours, thinking, am I gonna be able to make another step? Am I actually gonna make it? I thank you, Father, that Peter says that believers are kept by the power of God through faith. Pray that you'd inspire faith. Thank you, Father, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word, Lord. I pray that you would have inspired faith in the heart of weak brothers and sisters who are struggling with condemnation today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Would you work, Lord? Thank you that we don't have to hype it. We don't have to hump it. Thank you that the work is just done by your spirit. Thank you it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.